Welcome back to Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift for Stage 3 of the Vuelta a España. It's kind of gone exactly the same as the Tour de France Grand Depart. Starting and finishing in Breda, we're doing a loop. Benji's going to explain uh, enclaves and exclaves to us in the Dutch-speaking region of the world. And we would have a sprint despite Thomas de Gent's best endeavours. There was one Cat 4 climb on the parkour, uh, even shorter than yesterday. And so we'd expect Julius Vandenberg in the break, Dutch rider, his name literally means Hill, um, to be trying to defend his polka dot jersey. Before the transition day, not really a rest day, travel day, sorry, tomorrow before they go down to the north of Spain to Tria Gastars, etc. We'll have... Um, probably a transfers roundup mostly tomorrow, uh, rather than a full rest day recap, because really there's not too much to recap so far in this race. But this show, as always, is brought to you by Zwift. Zwift Academy is back for 2022. Registrations are open now. If you're in, which many of you are, North America, Oceania in particular, this has been a pathway, or South Africa. This has been a pathway for riders getting into the pro ranks like Ashley Moorman, like Jay Vine and Neve Bradbury. Or if you're just looking to kickstart your fitness with some structured sessions, Swift Academy will help you get fitter and have more fun on the bike. Six workouts to complete. Go check it out through the link down below, including a seven-day free trial if you haven't signed up yet. But Benji, what is uh, a Belgian enclave? That's a very good question. Now. I, I, I got my geography and history better just to be able to explain this on the podcast right now. An enclave is basically that you've got a, a small bit of a country. So, for example, a small bit of Belgium that is fully surrounded by the Netherlands, for example. In this specific stage, we have that happening. We are in the Netherlands, but there's this city, village, town, whatever we can call it. Barle Hertog, Barle Nassau is what it's called. And there are parts of Belgium in there that are part of the Antwerp province in Belgium, but they're entirely surrounded by the Netherlands. But it's not just one crop of that city. It's like there's 10 meters that is Belgium, the next 10 are Netherlands, the next 10 are Belgium. And it's like, it's a real mess, to be honest. It's like from the history of medieval are treaties and so forth. Same language, right? What, sorry? We are, yeah, we are. Same, la- same language? Yeah. Are you all. Technically, we do. Could get myself in hot water here. Is everyone from the same historically ethnographic group like there's not i think so although so the belgians the are clearly <laughs> because belgium is superior like oh, okay <laughs> no 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 on a on a serious note i think like a fun story about it is i think in world war one germany tried to like invade that belgian part but the netherlands didn't allow it so it became like a, a refugee spot for belgians because that's the one spot that germany didn't conquer i'm pretty sure probably some other places in belgium as well because we were great nonetheless uh cycling let's talk about cycling oh, no, I, I, think... I haven't finished i oh. actually know about enclaves and exclaves because i live in a micro state in the pyrenees and so there's a lot of weird geography here like there's near uh in what? on the border with uh spain and france there's uh i think it's an exclave but, uh, but i think it looks like an enclave i don't know the difference um Yuvi. <laughs> Yibia, which is like you drive through it uh, when you cross the border, is a Catalan town surrounded by France, but it's on the border. So that's kind of weird. There's also Oster Civis, which is, or Civis, which is kind of separated from Spain. You can only go through Andorra to get to it, but it's from Spain 
on a road weird stuff in europe europe you're crazy it'd be crazy anyway cycling sorry ben she the breakaway yeah the breakaway of today's stage well was it really that relevant was the breakaway in today's stage really that relevant because it was different from yesterday we didn't have alperson controlling it big time with like a gap of 10 seconds being the case but it kind of became that throughout today's stage because there were some echelon fears or at least nervousness in the peloton anyway thomas again was in the breakaway julius van den berg once again kwm guard from yesterday Mikwell po same dude as yesterday jan baklands okamika that's the burgos guy that got slapped by herogots on that hilly stage in valenciana i'm pretty sure andalusia, Mikaliturja. andalusia close enough it's all in the same probably probably <laughs> they're, con- they're next to each other but they're not the same benji <laughs> speak for let see these Belgians. You wanting me to draw fine distinctions between Flanders and and the Western Netherlands, and then you you're lumping Andalusia and Valencia together. I mean, this is outrageous. Yeah. But yeah. Next to next to them, Jose Herrada, the Bita Gerada, not the Jesus one. That's and nice. uh, that's basically it for this breakaway. And then they got caught because Bora and Trek were pacing in the peloton. Alpsen did less, and that's why they had more riders towards the end of the race. So that's that very intelligent. That's a very good question because they didn't have Ricard here anyway, so not an ideal lead out. Some other stuff happened in today's stage. We were in a corner, uh, and that corner had three of his riders standing by the side of the road, Karapas, Sivakov, and another dude. And there was a cone lane next to Karapas on the floor while he was putting his chain back on, so I'm guessing he rode into the cone. And uh, whether he hit the floor or not, I've got no clue, but the cone is not injured. That's what I have to report. Anyway... It is interesting. Alberson Benji, I've never seen a team that gets more upset about pacing responsibility on pancake <laughs> flat sprint stages. Like they always seem to have the wrong end of the stick and the car gets very mad at other teams. Um, but to be honest, you look at their team construction. You got Merlier the sprinter, Vine's somewhat protected. Like last year he was made to chase the break. That seems to not be the case this year so much. Um what what is the purpose of a lot of these riders but for chasing the break? If you don't have Krieger, Rickart, not their fault, Rickart's not here, or DeBont, well, that's their job, kind of. But anyway, break got caught. Um, there was, as Benji said, the Ineos crash was around the 20K to go mark, and a Burgos rider just before 20Ks to go put his hand up calling for refreshments or something, calling for the car, and then the crash happened. And then when the Ineos guys were at the second last car, quick step in the convoy, Yumbo were first. They were, uh, I think Sivakov, whoever it was, was about to make their move up to the Yumbo car, jump ahead so they get back. And this was 17Ks to go. The Burgos car flying on the left-hand side of the road, trying to catch, trying to go to the front of the peloton. And I was like, the says, or whoever, probably shouldn't have allowed that to happen while Ross were coming back. So that was a bit of a scary moment but yeah we were coming forward to a sprint it was curious like it was quick step yesterday benji nowhere today they decided not to stay at the front maybe they're listening to the podcast maybe not um and ineos were not but maybe turner and van baal spent energy bringing carapaz back so they couldn't do it in the final to keep carapaz safe and it was jumbo visma with the Fini. Uh, pacing on the front, maybe Dennis first. And I thought, are they going to try and get Omen the uh, the jersey? What I realized today is that the lead outs here are really, 
it's a big mess. Like, and I'm not criticizing the riders in particular. A lot of these riders are not the team's first or even second choice to be pulling at 1500 meters to go in a pancake yeah. flat sprint. They're not, they're not those guys. Um, and a lot of those guys are being used as the last man, like Kirsch for Pedersen. And so you see Afini Benji, he was literally looking around from 2.5Ks to go, being like, is is someone going to take over and pass me now? Like, <laughs> And he's just going, going nowhere. And all the sprinters are just fanning out, but no one's coming forward. Bike exchange on the right couldn't really move up. Alperson on the left, one rider tried to move up, maybe Tamino or somebody, I don't know. And then Merlier let them go and didn't follow them. And Bora were kind of mulling about in the middle. It was just, there was no control at all, really, from anybody in this yeah. sprint to like 500 to go. Firmly agree with that. And that's where the piloting comes in from certain teams. We see that Bora is setting up similarly, or actually a bit different from the day before, I feel like. I feel like today we saw more of a proper setup by Bora, who are... I think the second train from the left side trying to move up and they had two riders. I think it's Koch and Mullen ahead of Van Poppel and Bennett. But like you mentioned, it's such a weird situation with all the GC riders still in the last two kilometers with so many things happening, going to a corner that is a right-hand bend. And basically, I think that corner decided a lot when it comes to some sprinters that were badly positioned already because that corner happens Yumbo still at the front, goes through that corner safely. And I feel like the team's halvened in the peloton there. And we saw Bora losing the first two riders there and basically had from Bubble and Bennett left. And they were getting pushed to the back, pushed to the back because I feel like Bennett was being pushed to the back. And from Bubble kept looking behind and it looked like at a certain point he even dropped back to get Bennett again at a certain point in the lead up to this sprint. But what else did you see in the lead-up to this sprint? It's a great week for my enemies. Jonathan Vought has got a lot of praise on the Carapaz EF transfer podcast that dropped today. Go and check that out. Ryan Mullen, unfortunately, did a fantastic job. Something we rarely see is a rider doing a lead-out who stops his lead-out before he's exhausted. Mullen looked back. He saw Van Poppel and, Mullen, uh, he saw Van Poppel and Bennett were not on his wheel and he pulled off. But why is that important? Because if they're in bad position and they need to move up late and you're drilling it on the front, that makes it impossible or more difficult for them to move up. It gives the other riders, Merlier, Ackerman and Pedersen, a deeper lead out when they have no lead out men into the final of the sprint. And so they get to hit the wind later thanks to you. And so he was like, well, I'm not giving you a lead out. And he pulled off. And I think that was incredibly important for Van Poppel then in the brief second where people aren't launching or weaker sprinters are launching for Van Poppel yeah. to move out the left-hand side. So that was really good work from Mullen. And again, I criticized the Intermarche guys who you saw on the Arctic race videos. They did sort of the opposite to that and cooked Quinton Hermans um, in those finishes. And so Van Poppel basically moves out the left, launches Bennett, and then he cooks everybody. So that's, that's the cliff notes of the sprint. Van Poppel, incredible. Why, why is Van Poppel getting so much praise? It's because he brings... Bennett up level with Pedersen, with Ackerman, with McClay, but they've already been sprinting in the wind for five to seven yep. seconds. And so, Bennett, you got to be able to finish it off, which his legs are better than before, but it's a huge advantage. And so, yeah, before we get it done again, what do you think, Benji, 
like, what's Danny Van Popper worth? You know? Like, it's the it's, same question we asked last year with Merku. What are these leadouts worth? Are they arguably worth more than your sprinter? Because the leadout is more than half of what brings this victory, in my opinion. Now, this is not to take away from Bennett. Bennett still has to manage to get to the line first. And he was not the first sprinter when Van Poppel left him off. So he still needs to get past people, even though he has six seconds less in the wind. And he has that extra speed that Van Poppel launches him with. So that's a significant bonus. But I will say the majority of the victory of yesterday and today is Van Poppel and Les Bennett. Again, not to take away from Bennett winning two stages. But Van Poppel is clearly the factor here that gets Bora those victories. I believe that leadouts financially are probably underrated as well because Bennett is going to be earning seven figures and Van Poppel is not. Yeah, exactly. And the question is always what well, maybe Quickstep used to do, but it's like, okay, if you can get a leadout man who's at that level, sort of top three leadout man, Rickard, Merku last year or Van Poppel now, get them on a decent salary and then you pair them with a sprinter who hasn't broken out yet, but who's like still maybe a top 15, yep. top 12 sprinter in the world, then it's top top 10 sprinter in the world, pair them with that guy and you're going to make hay. Yep. Uh, is that cheaper than Ewan? And then they're scrambling at Lotto to get lead out men to for Ewan. Probably cheaper and more yep. effective. Um, but in the case of Bora, they also have the expensive sprinter. Bennett's on a pretty good contract, one would assume. Anyway, Big win for him, two in a row, ahead of Pedersen. McClay was closer today, third. Speaking of lead-out men, like, <laughs> like we can yeah. only say it so many times, but, like, someone picked a guy up and pair him with you. Like, Quickstep. Well, Quickstep and Lotto, I don't know why they're signing Casper Pedersen instead of Dan McClay. I guess he's Danish and truck rider. Uh, Cockard, fourth. Leinhard, fifth. Melier, sixth. Grove, seventh. Bulens, eighth. Ackerman, ninth. Van Poppel, tenth. Uh, the red jersey goes to Afini because he finished ahead of Omen. Not sure if that was the plan or just because he he just got ahead of Omen. I don't know. Uh, what happened with Merlier, Benji? Did he have a mechanical or what? He was uh, he was sprinting behind a Goffidis rider, uh, Kokar, when the sprint kicked off and Kokar went a bit to the right, and as a consequence, Merlier had to go significantly to the right. I don't think this is the fault of Kokar necessarily, because Merlier should not have been in that position anymore anyway. But he ended up being unclipped and then had to relaunch once reclipping in, and then your sprint is uh, completely bottled. So that ruined it. I don't think he would have won from the position he was in anyway, so it's a bit of an irrelevant thing, but at least the, the result is not really representative of the speed that Merlier probably would have gotten. So I think he would have gotten a a top four-ish, and I have no clue where he landed now, so I guess... Uh, seventh, I think. Seventh, for example. Now, I do want to note on UAE, like, we see Bennett, and we saw Merku back in the past also doing similar stuff, where they're sometimes in eighth position once they launch past people in the last 500 meters. What is more effective these days? And does it depend on your sprinter? Because... UAE is doing a setup from the front, a proper leadout with multiple riders, Mullen being a part of that for some moments before he went off the front, like you mentioned. But UAE keeps it up and has two riders in front of Ackerman and launches Ackerman from the front. Is that dependent on your sprinter? Because Ackerman is the type of sprinter where you'd say he doesn't have the acceleration to get past people, so he needs to start ahead of people. 
Or is that because he doesn't have a lead out like Van Poppel who can launch him ahead of people in the final? Or is that a combination of the two? I mean, I think the one Van Poppel's doing is more effective, but if you try and replicate that with another rider, it won't work because Van Poppel is literally doing his lead out from sixth wheel, bringing Bennett to equal with Pedersen at the same time Pedersen has launched his sprint. So he's literally sprinting faster <laughs> than the guys going for the win. And I think if you try that with Milano or someone else, you will just have your sprinter get left behind and they've got no chance. So I don't know. It's horses for courses, I guess. Uh, Demar is the Ackerman style, like leading from the front, big traditional leader. Peterson. Peterson. is also from the front, in my opinion. I mean, that Edward Turns thing is curious, Benji. Like... It... It's really weird to me. Like, I know the Vuelta isn't as big as the Tour. Um, and Turns was at Bemis Classics Hamburg today. But it is curious to me the lack of planning from what I can see. A lot of these teams are cobbled together from the Vuelta with parts that don't really make sense uh, or don't fit together in a, like Alperson and Trek, for example. And it's like they've burnt up all these guys' race days or whatever. And then they send Pedersen Melier and they got no lead out. So, well, what's the What's the point then? Like, just send Pedersen to Hamburg with turns and he's got more of a chance of winning a world tour race, in my view. Anyway, rest day tomorrow. Uh, we'll do a preview of stage four on that hey, that one there. This is Afini Erasure. I said Afini he took red. Get, yes, but we got to talk about the next step. What is the next step after <laughs> Afini? Because will Orman take it tomorrow then? Or what are we talking about? Well, maybe Afini, yeah, maybe Athene DNFs on the travel oh, day. Shit, <laughs> and then Omen will Omen get it then if Athene DNFs? He would. So yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe that's possible. Who gets it on the fourth day? On the fourth day. Rewash? I mean, that would be so so that's a little Early. uphill finish. I still think Quinta Pache is taking it on the fourth day. <laughs> Breakaway. What? Why would Yumbo pace on the fourth day? <laughs> they, why would they? And then Ineos quick... neither, to be honest. No, Ineos should for Hater. Should for Hater take red? Yeah, I don't. Can he even at this point? Because look at look at the GC that we have right no, now. I can't because Robert will finish in group. Exactly, he's on thirteen seconds, so he needs three more bonus seconds before we get to that stage. And today was the last day that he could get those bonus seconds, unless he does it on the stage itself, which is also possible. But Gets a bit more risky then. And does Roglic beat Ethan Hater in an uphill sprint like that? I mean, we saw in Norway that Hater's not a guarantee. He got beaten by Agita and uh, Avenapool because of bad positioning rather than speed. So, yeah, it's a big risk to pace all day for maybe no jersey and maybe no win uh, at the start of a Grand Tour. But then, if that's the case, Benji, then why bring Hater? if you're not going to go for him for stage wins. So I think they probably should, to be honest. Otherwise, if he's not contesting bunch sprints and he's not going to win the mountain stages, then it's a waste of his time being here if you're not going to give him the opportunity. uh, Israel for... Impy? Bevan and Impy. Impy crashed yesterday, but Bevan as well. I don't know his condition, but Bevan as well uh, has a chance. De Gent lost time today. He's at nine minutes on GC. Alaphilippe. 
<laughs> Man, that if if Remco leads our Alpha Elite, and I'll my my Remco concerns will that'll be really oh. bad. They'll get to peak levels. Um, and have was, to bring it back to the Basque. Was was this the stage that I said the break would win with like Raúl García Pierna from Equipo Can Pharma or something? I can't remember if you went GC or break. I went with Pacher from the break taking red. Um, I think that suits him. But yeah, we'll we'll talk more about it tomorrow. Uh, otherwise, around the traps, there was Charles Shells, a 1-1 race, um, which Lotto, guess who wins? Arno Delis, 125 UCI points. Thanks for coming. Total Energy with Van Herstel. I don't know if Laws is in their top 10. They take bulk points too, and Intermarche have three in the top 10, so plenty for them too. Um, yeah, like... Arno Dali is single-handedly saving Lotto Sidal just about with Movistar not out of the woods by any stretch and Arkea back in. But speaking of Arkea, there was a big world tour race. Well, not a big world tour race. There was a world tour race on as well, and that was won by Marco Halle. It was Bemisa Classics. The ha- it was called the Hamburg Classic before. I couldn't figure out if I have video rights or not. I don't think I do. Uh, 205Ks. It has the Walserberg. 900 meters, 7.7% climb, which is 17 kilometers from the finish. It's a collection of short climbs, actually, and a pretty stacked stock list. Like yeah. Jakobsen, Lampard, Van Tricht, Bauhaus, uh, Haller, as I said, Van Art is here, Sheffield, Swift, Rowe, Viviani, Quentin Hermans, Christoph. It, it's a Ewan was here, Groenewegen, big list, Philipson, like almost better sprint field than the Vuelta, not even close just about and what did you make of this finale benji and well wow van Aert? it started early to be honest because we had a crash of like 20 riders including ewan laporte christoph bauhaus like plenty of riders that were influential towards the stage jakobsen was behind afterwards and that was going into the first of these two wazabergs and that caused that Yumbo only had one rider left for Wout van Aert to control the peloton and if you have that in a group of 20 25 then you got to start attacking. And they go towards that final Walserberg. And Wout van Aert does what he needs to do. Is attack that group to make sure that it is thinned down. Because otherwise he's going to keep getting attacked after Walserberg. And that would be bad for him, obviously. Now, before, we saw Bora doing stuff as well. They had Ieskelling in the initial attack. Then we saw Konrad bridge towards Ieskelling together with Mikkel Biel, I think, on the, uh, on the second last Walserberg. And that made sure that Konrad would survive the sec- the, uh, the last Wasserberg. So Wout van Aert would attack towards Konrad with a few other riders. We'll talk about them in a second. And that caused that Bora had an extra rider up there. And let's see if other riders would join afterwards. Because we had some chasing going on in that in that sense. Narvaez was there with Wout van Aert. Quinton Hermans from Antomarche as well. We saw Marco Haller later bridging up. A tiny bit later. And he also joined, so two riders from Bora, and that was the group, right? Haller, Konrad, Narvaez, Hedemans, Van Aert. And we went That's into right. the final stretch. And they were being chased by Bertiol. Now, Bertiol should have ridden fully for points at that point. I think he was trying to get across to that group. He was with... Fifiano? I can't remember. Um, but there was also... Is- one of those curious things behind where you got Ineos with Sheffield, with other eyes, with Viviani, who was in the Betty group and then went back. And it's like, 
do you trust Narvaez in that group? Uh-huh. What, percentage, what percentage chance does Narvaez have to win? You've got to do that calculations. Is it How low is it? Is it better than if you try something from the group, but then it's flat, so can Sheffield really do too much? Our, uh, Quickset were chasing, I presume Jakobsen got back on, but they would never catch uh, that leading group, which was working pretty well. One thing I noticed, Benji, and he did he did this in the classics a lot, and I'll pull it out probably later, is Van Aar, the group was finessing a little bit. Kono was pulling, but Narvaez and Hermans maybe. And Van Aar slid off the front first time, and Hermans wouldn't close him. He didn't keep pushing. And then the next time he did like a half attack, but it wasn't a full one. And then it got shut down pretty quickly. And I was like, I don't know. Like, what's the plan? Like, I feel like if he commits to these, he has a big chance. But then he's also, surely there's something in his mind holding something back for the sprint as well. But we saw in Norway, like, Haller is fast this year and he's on good equipment. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just it's just something I've noticed. He does these half attacks which don't feel like full commitment. So I question why he's doing them. I think in this specific situation, it was a response to what Bora was doing in the group. And it was in the middle of the group. I think it was behind Van Aert, where Conrad was leaving a space ahead of him. And I think Haller was ahead of Conrad with a space in between towards Conrad. Van Aert was in first position. And we noticed that Haller went to the back and Van Aert went to the front again. And because... Conrad left that gap. Perhaps he was like, let me test if Conrad can follow. Some stuff like that. Because we saw the second that Conrad did that half attack, that Conrad fell through the group. And Holler and other riders in that group had to close it. So perhaps it was testing whether Conrad had anything left? Uh, that's, that's the only thing I could see there. Maybe, yeah. I mean, eventually, maybe he knew or was worried about... Um... Conrad one twoing him later, which is what happened. Conrad tried a little attack with like 1,800 to go. It was closed down pretty quickly, one attempt, and then it just went to Conrad doing a lead out for the group. And we have the group in order. Conrad, Van Aert, Haller on Van Aert's wheel, the perfect place to be. Quinton Hermans, Narvaez, I think, in that order. And Conrad takes them so deep into this finish. I was yeah. looking, I was like, how's no one jumping? Usually someone jumps at 250, like Narvaez, or they freak out or whatever. 250, no. He's still Conrad. 200, no. And then it's Huller, left-hand sweeping bend, jumps around the outside of Van Aert. Hermans follows him, and Van Aert's looking over the wrong shoulder, looking left over the shoulder, and not just like, he didn't do a quick check, Benji. Like, he looked back, saw no one was there, and then continued looking almost at an empty space. I was like, they're on the other... And he's being attacked by hell the other side. So that it wasn't a split second. The full second mistake cost him the race. Haller had great legs, perhaps one of those situations where it was... Uh, he had the teammate and also had the advantage of being underestimated because um, he doesn't win very often. And he must have had good legs. And then Hermans, because Hermans was on his wheel, Van Aert then needs to make up to win two point one bike lengths, maybe more, because he was also t- come across at speed, and so he couldn't come across. I don't know what his legs were. Pretty good sprint, but yeah, that mistake cost him. I half disagree. I agree that that was a mistake in that situation, but I think his mistake is earlier. I think in this situation, Fanat knows that he needs a sprint that is a higher speed, 
And I feel like the speed was going down with Conrad doing that. I think he should have launched the sprint himself, the sprint himself in that final. He should have launched himself by 200 meters, perhaps a tiny bit more. I don't really care. Like, we know Vanat in this specific sprint, his acceleration is not godlike in a reduced sprint. We've seen it before. And we've seen him lose reduced sprints as well before. And the ones that are longer sprints, he tends to win more, is what I would personally say. Am I wrong in that? I agree with that. I guess he was concerned if I jump, I have Haller on my wheel and I'm going to give him a lead out and that's how I lose. But with the left bend, if he goes around the right of Conrad with the left bend, he can slot right in front of Conrad and shut off some draft for a partial moment to Haller as he goes to the barriers. So that alleviates that to a little bit if he'd done that. I agree with you that I don't know. I think Haller, like that Norway sprint was good. I think it's tricky because I agree with what you said. I mean, 250, I think, is too far. But when Conrad, like, when was he going to jump? Because they were at 175. So, like, he can't, he shouldn't be jumping at 125. He wasn't ready to jump. So, like, he should have been jumping when they got the jump on him. And then he probably, if he jumps at the same time, that keeps Haller on his right and Herman's on his right. They're going the wrong way around. The long way around, he wins easily um, if he jumps then, keeps him out. But, yeah, interesting. I think maybe it's like it's not a Tour de France stage, so are they like 100% clued in on the finish? Maybe it's a one-day race like you'd expect so. Great day for Bora Hansgrohe. They win uh, both German one-day World Tour races, Hamburg with Haller ahead of Van Aert, Hermans, Navais, Conrad, then Philipson ahead of Bauhaus, Hofstetter takes 100 points for eighth. Um, Cantor takes 80 points for Movistar, ninth. So Hofstetter helping Arkea. That's a quarter or nearly a quarter of um, Nairo's Tour de France GC points from eighth in this race. Unreal. Will... Wow, for not lose too much sleep over this. No, I think it's a good. I think every time he's dealing with reduced group scenarios ahead of the big spring classics can only be a good thing. You'd rather make this mistake here than against Kazhala, could be in the group in Tour of Flanders next year. But yeah, that's all from us today. Thanks for listening as always. Rest day or travel day recap tomorrow. Thanks as with as always, and we'll see you then. Ciao.